All right, church, it has already been a good day. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for what he's doing in us and through us at this church. Turn to Acts chapter 20, if you would, please. It's in the New Testament, right at the start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 20. In the middle of this chapter, the Apostle Paul sends for the elders. You got a missionary sending for the elders to come to him. See, that's, that's different, right? This is interesting. Paul's in Miletus. The elders are in Ephesus. They're like 30 miles away. And they come running. The missionary calling for the elders to come see him. Usually it's the elders who get word to the missionary, hey, you need to come see us. And then the elders say, you will never see us again. <laughs> That's usually how that works. But it's different here. Look at what happens here. Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he's thinking that when he gets there, he might be killed. It's very Christ-like. And, and that's very much like Paul, right? Imitating our Lord with every breath. And he's telling these elders goodbye. And as he leaves, the Bible says they get down on the ground and they pray and they cry and they hug and they kiss. Now, for those of you who do not know, this, this is not a typical elders meeting, Okay. Paul believes he's never going to see these elders again. And whatever he says to them now could be the last thing he ever says to them. So what does he say to this group of church elders? What are his final and most important instructions? Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Be shepherds. Be shepherds. Now, as a church family, we are in the beginning stages now of selecting new additional shepherds to serve with our group here at Golf Course Road. And you've got the selection forms with you this morning. Uh, we looked at this schedule last week. Again, I don't want you to turn in your forms today. You've got them today, but we really do want you to spend a week or two in, in uh, fervent prayer and in holy conversation. Um, make sure you talk to the men you're going to be recommending, okay? Uh, take some time with this. This Wednesday, we're going to have a congregational day of prayer and fasting. What we're asking is that every member of this GCR church family refrain from eating on Wednesday. And your normal meal times, breakfast, lunch, that, that snack or those four snacks, whatever it is, during the day, why don't you use that time instead of eating to speak to the Lord, talk to the Lord, uh, be in the Word, listen for God, talk to God about the process here and about the leadership here with His church at Golf Course Road. And then at 5.30 Wednesday, we're all going to come together and break the fast as a church family. We're going to eat together at 5.30, a congregational supper. We're going to do this over in the gathering place. Uh, Scott Springer is making pulled pork sandwiches, and we're asking everybody in the church to bring a side or a dessert. So barbecue sandwiches, we need you to bring chips and dips, coleslaw, potato salad, 
What else? Banana pudding. Somebody, who's bringing banana pudding? I just need one person to raise their hand, at least one to make it legit. Okay, right here. Thank you. We're going to have banana pudding at 5.30. And then at 6.30, we're going to dismiss the kids to children's worship and a Bible class. And then the adults are going to hang back in the gathering space. And we're going to have a very important conversation together about elders and about shepherds. Uh, in the Lord's Church. So that is Wednesday, and then remember the selection forms are due April 2nd. On May 14, we will present the prospective elders to the church, and then on June 4, we will ordain the new shepherds uh, here at GCR. So what kind of guys are we looking for? Who should we choose from among us? Well, shepherds. We're looking for good shepherds. And it would help us if we had a good theology of good shepherding. You know, deep inside our bones, I think all of us are free enterprise, open market, individualistic consumers. That's how we're conditioned. We all drink deeply every day from the wells of retail and marketing. The customer is always right. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. 30 days free trial. And sometimes if we're not careful, we try to sell the church or we try to sell Christianity as low cost and high value. And we can see our elders sometimes as one of the goods and services that we feel entitled to. We might look at our elders through our consumer eyes. And you know the consumer always gets what he wants or he goes shopping somewhere else. Listen, shepherding shepherding is not a free chaplaincy service that provides visits at the hospitals and prayers at the funerals, okay? Shepherding is a mentoring program that's designed to call every member of the Lord's church into lives that look like Jesus Christ. Elders are to teach and model and lead others toward more selfless service and submission and sacrifice and even suffering. That's a lot harder than just being there during the times of trial. So we need a good theology of good shepherding. We need a thorough and biblical understanding of their ministry and their calling and their responsibilities. And so I would suggest over the next couple of weeks... We don't limit ourselves to the lists. We don't begin and end this process as a church with the lists. And I'm talking about the list of characteristics or qualities of elders that we find in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Let's not just limit ourselves to this list. You know, generally, especially in churches of Christ, I shouldn't say that. I only know churches of Christ. So generally in churches of Christ... We start the shepherd selection process, and we start it with these lists. And when we start it with these lists, I believe we run the risk of elevating these lists above all the other guidelines in Scripture about elders. And that can be a problem because there are many, many passages about elders in the Bible outside of these two lists. And if we ignore them, that's a huge mistake. Focusing on these two lists can also nurture a legalistic understanding and a legalistic practice and a legalistic way of looking at things and thinking through things because 
The main reason is we only focus in these lists, we only focus on the characteristics that we can measure. We don't pay as much attention to the traits like upright and holy and blameless and love what is good because we don't know how to measure it. We don't know how to, how to prove it or disprove it, but we sure know how to count marriages and kids, right? And if we're not careful, we can wind up selecting our shepherds based on two passages that we've turned into narrow and legalistic checklists. And you know how this works, right? We've all seen this. We've all heard it distorted in ways just like this. A guy in the church can be a model of spiritual maturity. He sacrifices and he serves and he's dedicated his whole life to Christ and to God's church. And he teaches and he prays and he's forgiving and he's humble. But he's not qualified to be an elder. How come? Why is he not qualified? Well, because his 11-year-old daughter has not yet been baptized. And it says in my Bible, he must have believing children. And his daughter's not baptized yet. Well, I think that she's going to Christian summer camp this year. Well, okay, if she's baptized in August, then I guess he can be an elder in September. We do this, church. We do things like this. What if the guy's only got one kid? Well, he can't be an elder. He's not qualified. Are you crazy? What are you talking about? Well, it says believing children. So if his wife will just get busy and they pop out one more kid, then the guy can serve as a shepherd, biblically. Church, we do stuff like this. We do it. Well, this guy's got two wives. There's no way he can be an elder. What do you mean he's got two wives? He's got two wives. And it says here he's got to be the husband of one wife. Now, his first wife died 17 years ago. And his current wife, she lost her husband 15 years ago. And they've been faithfully married for 12 years, but it says, husband of one wife. We can read this so legalistically, and we can distort this so grossly that we completely miss the point. That's what happens when we start the process with these lists. And I think it gets worse when we end the process with these lists, only because of our legalistic tendencies. We put these guys in front of the church and we say, if you have any scriptural objections, and we're always talking about these lists. Well, what if the guy's an insufferable jerk? I'm not sure we address that with this list. What if the guy is a sectarian legalist? What do we do with that? Well, the rules aren't clear, you know? And if my objection isn't clear, then who am I to object? The objection's got to be clear if I'm going to put it in writing, right? And so we make this guy an elder just because he's married and both of his kids are baptized. Meanwhile, his wife can't stand him and he's been banned from four restaurants in town, you know? But we make him an elder because of this list. Or maybe this guy is at church all the time and he's been married for 25 years and both of his kids are baptized and he leads a really, really good prayer. And we look at the list and we're like, well, there's no objections. He's just... He's just in. And, and those are all fine, I think, but they're just external observations. That's all they are. And we're so hung up on getting the rules so perfectly right, we forget to focus on the guy's heart. Do you know this guy? And you might say, well, no, I don't know him well enough to find out anything about him. I'm telling you right now, church, I promise you, if we make him an elder... We're all going to find out. 
You hear me? We'll find out quick. So my suggestion is, let's not dismiss these lists. I think they're important. But let's not let the lists be enough. Let's be more scriptural. Let's be more spiritual when it comes to this important process. I would say all of us, every one of us, as we study, as we're in the Word for the next couple of weeks, as we pray through the Scriptures and have these conversations, let's, let's go ahead and look at 1 Timothy 3, and, and let's study Titus 1, but let's also pay attention to Matthew 20. And, and let's look at 1 Peter 5, where it says, God's elders are eager to serve. And, and let's look at Ephesians 4, where it says, shepherding is a gift from Christ. And let's look at Hebrews 13 and Acts 6. And let's look at Ezekiel 34. Have you ever read Ezekiel 34? If you want to know what God's looking for in a shepherd, you read Ezekiel 34, the whole chapter. You want to know what God's looking for and what he is not looking for. He spells it out in black and white. It is clear in Ezekiel 34. But above all of those things, let's start the process today by looking at Jesus Let's look at the chief shepherd. Let's look at the good shepherd. You want to put your finger on what we're looking for here at Golf Course Road. We're going to look at Jesus. Listen to our Lord from John chapter 10. These are the words of Jesus. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life. For the sheep. Three things, church, that I want us to consider this morning when we're thinking about selecting new shepherds. Number one, we are looking for relational leadership, not positional leadership. Too many churches today are led by strangers whose voice the church does not recognize. A true shepherd is followed by the church, not because God has given him some kind of authority, but because the sheep recognize his voice. In the Bible, God doesn't tell his people to respond to a leader because he has an office or a title. It has to do with relationship. Uphold these men, the Bible says. Recognize them. Follow them. Not because their names are in the bulletin or because they're the ones who approve the church budget, but because of their hard work, because of their love for the church, because of the relationships. Look at verse 14. Listen to Jesus. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Listen, in the Bible times, shepherds were not day laborers. They didn't just show up in the morning and, and put in eight or nine hours with the lunch and two breaks and then go home at night. 
No, shepherds lived with their sheep around the clock, day after day, season after season, feeding the sheep, protecting the sheep, taking care of the sheep, leading the sheep. They know the shepherd's touch. They recognize the shepherd's voice. And they would follow no other shepherd. This is about relationship. Look at verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now I want you to picture Jesus with his disciples. Eating with them. Walking and talking with them. Spending time with them. Encouraging them. Correcting them. Laughing with them, crying with them, going to weddings and funerals with them, washing their feet, dying for them. Ordaining elders is about acknowledging relationships, not appointing positions. Now, this doesn't mean elders don't have a title. They do. But it means their authority comes from their lives. It comes from their hearts. It comes from Jesus inside them, not the title. They have the title because people follow them, not the other way around. This is, I think, selecting shepherds. It's more like, you know, part of the church saying, hey, this guy shepherds us, and he does it so well, we think he'd be a good shepherd for the whole church. And the rest of the church looks at him and says, yeah, yeah, please shepherd us too. That's what this is about. When we're looking for elders, who he is is much more important than what he is. Relational, not positional. Secondly, we're looking for spiritual leadership, not worldly leadership. And the difference between the two is massive. It's leading by sacrifice and service, not by authority and power. This is paramount here. Again, let's look at the chief shepherd. If you go back a chapter to uh, John chapter 8, right in the middle of the chapter, listen to Jesus. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when I'm dying on a cross, he says, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. This is our Lord Jesus, always doing God's will, always doing it in God's ways. Go back another couple of chapters to John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus says, my food, right? My food, my, my passion, the, the thing that sustains me, the thing that motivates me, the thing that keeps me going, my food, my everything is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My Father sets the agenda for me. And He alone determines how I'm going to conduct my ministry. And I'm going to do it with sacrifice and service and submission and suffering. That's how a shepherd leads. Never by power. Never by authority. It's spiritual leadership, not worldly. I mentioned Matthew 20 earlier. Remember Matthew 20. This is when... James and John's mom brings her two little kids to Jesus and says, hey, I want these guys to have power and authority in your kingdom, right? Remember, I want each of them sitting on your throne when the time comes. And Jesus says, really? You ready to die? Because that's what it means. You ready for that? They answered yes, but they weren't. 
The other 10 disciples hear about it. They get bent out of shape. So the Bible says Jesus calls all of them together. And he says, verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But that ain't the way we're doing it. That's what he says. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Jesus is talking about worldly leaders versus spiritual leaders. God's shepherds never lead from the front. They lead from the back. They lead by washing feet and by dying, never by dictating and demanding. The biblical model of Jesus here, the chief shepherd, it turns everything upside down. It's exactly the opposite of worldly leadership. And how we mess this up sometimes is we try to take worldly leaders and turn them into spiritual leaders. That's what our culture tells us. It tells us to choose successful men. And by that, we mean men who've been successful in business, men who have made a lot of money, men who drive really nice cars and live in really big houses, guys who dress nice and they speak well in front of others, and they've been successful in politics, or they've served on a board somewhere. Church, that is the opposite of spiritual, sacrificial leadership. Let's listen to a couple of our greatest scholars in the churches of Christ on this topic. Flavel Yakely says, elders need to, it's just a funny name too, I'm sorry, Flavel All of you will have four nicknames for this poor guy before lunch. But he's smart here. Elders need to recognize that they are not lords over God's church. They're not a self-perpetuating board of directors functioning only as a decision-making body for the congregation. They are pastors. They must find time to function in their most important but sadly most neglected role as shepherds of the Lord's church. They must lead by example, by teaching and persuasion, not in giving orders. Everett Ferguson wrote um, what I feel like is a monumental article back in the late 80s. This thing's old. But listen, listen to Everett Ferguson. Listen to the wisdom here. He says, so what authority does an elder have? The most important kind possible in the Christian system. It is the moral authority of service of example, of spiritual knowledge and experience, of spiritual maturity. When such qualities are pulled in the collective judgment of the eldership, it carries great weight with Christian people. Christians will voluntarily subject themselves to mature leaders. They readily follow the example of a concerned eldership, which has proved its leadership by unselfish devotion to the causes of Christ. Here's what we're looking for. We need teaching, not commands. We need examples, not dictation. We need service, not supervision. We need men of faith, not men of rank. The chief shepherd church made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He died. That's the paradigm. That's the model. Spiritual leadership not worldly leadership. And then lastly, we're looking for actual leadership, 
not potential leadership. When a football team picks its captain, does it ever pick a rookie? I mean, ever. Has a rookie ever in history been the captain of a football team? Healthy teams pick the guys who've won championships. They pick the guys who are playing in the all-star games. Healthy teams pick the players who show up early and leave late, the guys who live in the weight room. They don't pick a captain just because he's all blinged out and he drives a million-dollar car and he just filmed a really funny commercial. They pick a man with experience. They pick a man who goes above and beyond. They look around the locker room and they say, who do we want to be like? Who do we want to imitate? And they pick that guy. We should look around our church and say, who do we want to look like? Who do we want to imitate? Who looks most like Jesus? Who's acting like Jesus and thinking like Jesus? Who among us is living like the Lord? Let's pick that guy. Church, we're not looking for men who can be shepherds. We're looking for men who already are shepherds. And we just need to make it official. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think, speaks to this pretty plainly. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Uphold them, right? Recognize them. Designate these ones who are already acting like shepherds. 1 Corinthians 16 says, the ones who are working so hard to serve the saints, submit to them. The ones who are already teaching and praying and encouraging. The ones who are already actively visiting and volunteering and, and leading small groups and pouring themselves into the relationships and the community here. The Bible says, follow them. Philippians 3 says, take note of those who live according to the pattern. Those who are living the gospel. These leaders are selected in the Bible because of their work. They don't start working because they're selected. Paul says, look at what these people are doing in and for the church and acknowledge them. These people are surfacing already as spiritual leaders and he's calling on the rest of the community of faith to just recognize it. So the questions are, does he look like Jesus? Does he act like Jesus? The question is not, is this guy perfect? Because none of them are. Can I get an amen on that? The question is, does he look like Jesus? Does he talk like Jesus? Does he think like Jesus? Does he see other people the way our Lord does? Does he consider the needs of others more important than his own? Is he sacrificial? Is he forgiving? Is he submissive to others? Is his life visibly being changed by God's Holy Spirit? If so, he'd make a good elder. Stand with me, church. Let's stand together. It's important that our shepherds reflect the heart and the character of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. So as we close this morning, I want you to listen to his voice. I want you to listen 
to his heart. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. May God bless us as he guides us as we select our new shepherds. Amen.